Alright, good morning everybody. How's it going today? Wave at me a little bit. Everybody awake? Doing good? Doing good? Good to see you guys. Well, I got to celebrate 11 years of marriage to my beautiful wife, Bethany. And uh, I'm so excited to be Bethany's first husband. It's awesome. It's just uh, incredible. Hopefully last. <laughs> if you guys don't know me yet, I have a morbid sense of humor. So just being transparent and real. It's true. No, we had a great time. We had a wonderful time in Ashland. We went to the Ashland Springs Hotel. And uh, man, I, I did my best to eat myself to death this weekend. Uh, death by overeating. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Because when you go to somewhere that has good places, good restaurants, you just go to town. And I know I talk about food a lot, and I'm, I'm not going to try to avoid it. I'm just going to embrace who I am, right? Just embrace who I am. On, uh, on Friday, we went to uh, the restaurant. It's called Lark's at Ashland Springs Hotel. And uh, it's a good place. I'm just going to throw that out there. Really good. I had the corned beef uh, Reuben sandwich. Come on. The glory of Jesus is here in this place. How many of you like Reubens? You get some sauerkraut? Yeah. I'm, I'm German uh, partially, and so when I'm grumpy, I'm a sauerkraut, right? Yeah, and uh, it was such a good time, but just loved being there with Bethany. We had such a good time recharging and refueling, and my parents uh, watched our kids, and so that was great. They had a great time with grandma and grandpa, and they got to do everything. What'd they do? They, they did the, the hot tub, they got an Easter basket, they went to McDonald's, they roasted marshmallows. My, it was like <clears throat> two or three in the afternoon, my dad's like, let's do a campfire and roast marshmallows out behind. And grandparents, that's, that's how it goes, right? They only had them for like 24 hours, so they had to fit it all in there. So amazing. My kids love going to grandma and grandpa's house. They are just, they love it. Uh, they're so excited. It's irresistible to them. It's uh, something that they cannot wait to do. They always ask us every day when we say, hey, we're going to grandma and grandpa's house this week. They ask every day, is today the day? They love it. They go for it. You know, in, in this series, Irresistible, we're talking about when you allow the love of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God to be so a part of your life that it saturates down into your bones and it, and it emanates out of you. Other people are going are gonna to see that and it's an irresistible thing, isn't it? You know, I think a lot of times we think, oh, my capacity to reach people for Christ, my ability to connect with people and to share the gospel is connected to my intellect. How many of you thought that before? If I can answer the questions that people have, if I can, if I can give the right message, if I can tap into some genius kind of sounding highfalutin philosophical, uh, I say, good show, boy. You know, if I can get to that level of intellect, I can reach people for Christ. And, and that's good, but it's not true, right? There's nothing wrong with being smart. There's nothing wrong with being able to explain the, the things of God. That's a good thing, right? But it's not everything. Other people might say, no, it's all about miracles. If I can pray and people's legs grow or they fall out in the Holy Spirit or something happens or I give them a word, that's what it's all about. And that's good, but it's not the whole story. Now, let me just say what, what really is the most irresistible thing is when people can see Jesus in you. Come on. When people can see that there's something in your life that you have encountered that has made you different, that has changed you from the inside out than the world around you. Come on. And so the number one witness for, for Christ is his church. It's his people. It's us, right? It's us. It's irresistible. So we're talking about that in this series, Reaching People for Jesus. I love that song, Reckless Love. How many of you enjoy that song? Oh, the, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that he leaves the 99 and he pursues the one. How many of you are excited and, and thankful that Jesus left 99 to come and get you? 
right? When you were lost, when you were wandering, when you were astray, whatever that looked like for you, whether you were sitting in a church astray or you were at a bar or somewhere else astray, that the love of God pursued you and he came and got you. Come on, it's awesome. It's our theme song for this month because we're talking about reaching people for Christ. And I want to ask you this question today. As a church, as a congregation, are we irresistible? Are we, are we presenting uh, an aspect of God? Are we, are we sharing our faith in a way that people say, man, I want to know more about this? Or do we kind of have like this sour look on our face? Would you like to know my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I'm laughing, so I don't have that. <laughs> Would you like me to tell you about Jesus? No, you look kind of like you're constipated. No, it's, it's holiness. That's what holiness is. Well, here's some Mucilex. You know, you take that away. Is that, is, that a, is that a laxative? Here's a, I don't know. What is Mucilex? That just popped into my brain. Fiber. So that would help you. It would help. Good. Okay, good. We're all right, everybody. That's awesome. Hey, welcome, Joy Church UO. We're uh, having a great day today. So excited you're with us. I'm excited to be here on a Sunday morning. It's a good day. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth, uh, a city in Greece. And the, the church in Corinth was, was kind of having some, some disagreements and things like that. And there was these people that were coming and they were saying, hey, we're better than Paul. You don't need to listen to Paul. And Paul begins to talk about a letter of recommendation. Now, this was a big thing in the ancient world where you would write, you get letters of recommendation. We still do this, right? We say, here's my resume. People ask me all the time, hey, can you be my reference? I don't know why people want me to be their reference. Let me just tell you, there's better references because I'm crazy. I'll say stuff to people if you ask, what do you think about this person? Oh, they're, they're nuts. They've killed nine people, actually. I'll just make stuff up. No, I'm kidding. But reference, you know, we give people a letter of recommendation. So they're asking, uh, Paul says, look, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, he says, the only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. He's talking to these people. Listen to these words. He says, your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are... You are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Paul says the, the best witness for Jesus, the best uh, uh, prove, proving of my ministry, Paul is saying, is not some letter written with pen and ink. It's the fact that the people that I have ministered to, you Corinthians, you, this, this church that he's speaking to, you are a letter. I think in one translation, it says you are a living epistle. How many of you were Christian teenagers in the 90s and you remember living epistles? Anybody remember living epistles t-shirts? Matt, yes. And living epistles, they, they got, I think they got sued because they did like the Coca-Cola logo, but it would say Jesus Christ, but it was Coca-Cola. And that's how you knew you were in with Jesus. If you wore a Jesus-themed t-shirt that was ripping off someone else's trademark, you were in, right? You were living epistle. I had one that was like um, the Lord's gym, right? Instead of gold's gym. And it was Jesus ripped, shredded, right? Like on the cross, but just shredded. And it was, you know, the Lord's gym, not gold's gym. All right. You guys, this is good stuff. Come on. This is comedy gold, people. You know, it was amazing. The Lord's gym, right? But they got sued because they were ripping other people's things off and making money, but it was for the Lord, so it was okay. So <laughs> they were a living epistle, but representing, that's what we are though. And I want to ask you this question. Is the goodness of God, is it written on your life? Are you a living epistle? Are you a letter that goes beyond pen and ink, but a letter of the, the goodness and the grace and the 
uh, the glory of God, the love of God, is it written on you so that you are a billboard, that you're shining out God's goodness, the irresistible goodness of God. Last week I started this message and didn't get through it, but I want to finish it today and talk about Psalms 103. And how many of you were here last week and got the first part of this? And we were talking about how incredibly good God really is. See, I think when we talk about this word evangelism and we talk about reaching people for Jesus, we often focus on other people, but we should focus on ourselves. We should preach the gospel to ourselves first, right? Because if you have really encountered God and you really understand the gospel and you are embracing the goodness of God, you're going to be the, a way better salesperson for it. Am I right? That when we really understand God's goodness for ourselves and we're living inside of it, we're going to live it out. So we're going to jump back into Psalms 103 and look at how to be that living letter, that, that living epistle without the trademarked ripoff t-shirts. We'll just do it with our regular clothes that we buy at Old Navy and, and places like that. How's that sound? But Psalms 103, we're going to jump into the word here today, and I'm going to just give you a very, very quick recap of what we covered last week and then jump in to the second part of this passage and go through. There's some amazing things in here. And just like last week, like I said, you're going to be ridiculously encouraged. Come on. That's a good thing, right? I believe as you leave today, you're just going to be like really encouraged by how good God is for you, how good he is to you. So Psalms 103 it's a Psalm of David. It starts in verse one. He says, all, let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. Don't we forget how good God is? Last week, I talked about my kids, right? I can literally be taking them from McDonald's to the house and they've already forgotten my goodness. I'm like, come on guys, you have ice cream on your face and you're already forgetting and you're wondering what are we doing next? No, don't forget I'm a good dad. Like, I've, I just bought you McDonald's. You got a Happy Meal. Those are expensive, right? I mean, they, they make you pay for that little toy. We do that with God, though. We forget. David says, may I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. We talked about this last week. He heals my diseases. He redeems me from death, crowns me with love and tender mercies, fills my life with good things. I'm just rushing through this. My youth is renewed like the eagles. I talked about Norm, right? Norm was 84 years old, but he was in love with Jesus and he was just, his youth was renewed because he was in the purposes of God. When you are in God, when you are celebrating his goodness, you don't get old. Your body might get old, but your spirit is renewed. There's life inside of you. Come on. You don't have to turn into a curmudgeon. You, you, can, you can continue to be fresh. You can continue to be life-giving and enjoyable to be around because of God's goodness working in you. So we're gonna pick this up in verse Six, and we're going to finish off this passage today, and we're talking about the goodness of God. Are you ready? Buckle your seatbelt. All right, let's do it. Verse six, the Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. Now remember, David is writing a list of benefits. Don't forget how good God is. This is part of God's goodness. We talked about a bunch of stuff last week, but we're going to start here. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. How many of you think that our world is full of injustice? And we need a just and good God. Come on. We need a God that upholds righteousness, that upholds justice. Now, let me just, I'm just going to jump into your business right away, okay? I know like we're having fun. It's Sunday. Everybody got a latte, but we're going to just jump into this. If you think that it's the Republican or the Democratic Party that's going to bring justice, you're wrong. 
No, it's the conservatives. We've got it. No, it's the liberals. We've got it. Nobody's got it. Everybody doesn't got it. And that's not grammatically correct, but it's true. Well, you know, if we, if we have this president or this president, things are going to be better. No, things are going to be different. But the root problem is, cannot be dealt with with a superficial or natural answer because the root problem is a root problem within the human heart and spirit and it's called sin. And it started thousands of years ago or millions of years ago or whenever you think it did, but it started in the Garden of Eden when mankind made a choice to say, I don't trust in the goodness of God. And, and Satan came to Eve and said, hath God said, doubt the authority of God, doubt the moral authority of God and become autonomous and take it upon yourself and now be the, your, the own arbiter of your own destiny. Adam and Eve took this decision and they decided and it brought sin and brokenness and death and that's the root of problems that have come into, our, into, into humanity. So it's not a political answer. Justice and righteousness aren't gonna come with more or less guns, you guys. Okay, it's gonna come as hearts are changed. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't wrestle with these questions and we shouldn't be engaged and involved and have opinions. I'm not saying that. I have political opinions, but I understand something. If my first allegiance is not to the kingdom of heaven, but rather to the kingdom of earth, I will not be participating in what God actually wants to do on this planet. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching good already. Come on. So we have to understand where does justice come? Where does righteousness come? It comes from God. And this is a benefit of God. When you are connected with Christ and, and, and the gospel has come to you, you now get to embrace this thing and say, you know what? Even when bad stuff happens to me, to the people I love and to the people around me, that's not the end of the story because there is a God and he will bring justice. It's a benefit. You are no longer hopeless. It's no longer just living in futility. No, you, you trust in the righteousness and justice of God, who, who both now and in the, in the age to come is going to bring righteous judgment. Why do we not take vengeance upon people? Hey, somebody steals my car or somebody does something to me. Why don't I just go take vengeance on them? Why? Because we believe in a just God and vengeance belongs to the Lord. So the justice of God gives us permission to live mercifully and graciously with those around us. It says in verse seven, he revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. I love this next line. He's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. How amazing is that? That God who has every right to render you into a puddle of DNA on the ground with lightning when you do something wrong is that his character is not that, but it's slow to get angry. That he's filled with unfailing love. And I, I know we're talking about the goodness of God, but I'm, I'm preaching to people here today. And so I wanna bring this around to us and ask you this question. When we talk about God being slow to get angry, we talk about God having unfailing love. How about us? Are we reflecting this? See, as you, and, and we're talking about evangelism here, we're talking about being irresistible. What does it look like for us as followers of Jesus? If we serve a God of unfailing love and we serve a God who's slow to get angry, if we're like trigger happy, right there, I love these, I don't love these videos. I see on Facebook, people will say things like, Christian pastor destroys gay person. That is an abomination to the gospel. 
Because if you are a follower of Jesus, you should not want to destroy any person who is made in the image of God. You should have a heart that weeps and cries for people who are lost and broken in sin because the heart of Jesus is that that person would be redeemed and restored, not destroyed. Let that not be named once among us. Christian pastor roast, you know, and if you're the kind of person, well, you know, liberal roasts, old white guy with guns. No, that's not the heart of Jesus either. God loves you. And God loves the people that you hate. And you should be thankful for that because some people hate you. Come on, somebody. Anybody else live in the United States of America today? Aren't we so easy to, I'm so quick to get angry. These people, they're the problem. They're the problem. These people, no, we serve a God who's slow to get angry. God doesn't jump to conclusions. He believes the best. He sees the potential. He sees every person. Come on, and if we're gonna be irresistible, we've gotta drop the act, drop whatever we, we think we're standing in and say, you know what? I'm not gonna be quick to rush to judgment. I'm not gonna be quick to respond in anger. I'm gonna be like, God, I'm gonna be slow to get angry. Is there a time to get angry? Yes. Is there a time to, to say, this is not right. We're gonna do something about this. Absolutely. Am I saying don't have an opinion? No. What I'm saying is we serve a God who's slow to get angry and he's filled with unfailing love. Are we allowing our love to fail? Because if so, we're not reflecting the irresistible love of God. See, it's one thing to stand in church and sing, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, but not for you. I remember this guy named Jesus. He said this one thing about if you don't forgive other people, then God doesn't forgive you. See, it doesn't work this way where we can sort of say, well, I'll take the goods, but, no, but I'm going to shut the door behind me. Come on, guys. Come on, get that door open. The gospel that comes to you, can it get through you? Does that shine and emanate through your life? Slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. Verse nine, he will not constantly accuse us. I love this. Nor remain angry forever. You know, God lets you up off the mat. Isn't this a good thing? God lets you up off the mat. See, God will deal with your sin. God will deal with your iniquity. God will deal with your fallenness. God will deal with your brokenness. But there's a big difference between condemnation and correction. See, with my children, we're dealing with our daughter right now, and she's having a little issue with lying, which for those of you that don't know what that is, it's not telling the truth. (laughs) And we're trying to get through to her. This is not a good thing. This is not a good thing. But you know what? I don't say you're a liar. She's not a liar. She's, She's dealing with something, okay? But condemnation would say you're in a box. Now this is who you are. Oh, you, you had a child out of wedlock? Well, you're this. Oh, you, you got drunk? Well, you're this. Oh, you had a problem with drugs? Well, you're this. And let me just tell you right now that Jesus doesn't put you in a box and lock you in it. That's called a casket. That's what the enemy wants to do is put you in a box, lock it and bury you and say, you're done. You're finished. Here's the gospel though, that you were finished. You were in the casket. Jesus came, opened it up and said, wake up, right? Time to live. There's a big difference between condemnation and correction. So with my daughter, when she tells a lie, I don't say, you're a liar, you're never gonna change, you're worthless, you're the worst. No, I say, honey, listen, that's not who you are. And there might be punishment, there might be discipline, there might be a spanking, there might be timeout, there might be a dep- you know, a, a depriving her of privileges, whatever kind of thing needs to happen to deal with it, there is a consequence, okay? But there's a difference between condemnation and correction. And God does not condemn you. He corrects you. Come on, somebody. He does not condemn you. He corrects you. Now, some people get all bent out of shape when God comes to correct them. See, sometimes somebody in your life, maybe your joy group leader, or maybe your pastor, or maybe somebody's going to say, you know what? 
The way you're thinking is not good. And the way you're acting is not good. And you go, oh, how dare you question my, my behavior? How, you, you're judging me. This is like a hot button in our culture, isn't it? Anytime anybody has an opinion about the behavior of a person, we take judgment and we throw it out like this gigantic banner as if, you know, get out of jail free. You can't judge me because, okay, hold on a second. There's a big difference between condemnation and correction. When somebody who loves you comes and says, I, I think that the Lord wants to do an adjustment or this is something that's going on, that's correction. Correction is not rejection. Correction is not the same thing as condemnation. God does not condemn us. Aren't you glad about that? But he corrects us. And he corrects us, why? Because he loves us and he wants to see us become the people that he made us to be. He wants to deliver us from the slavery of sin. But God lets us get up off the mat. Verse 10, it says, he does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. This is incredible. I mean, I could preach a whole message about this one line and I won't because, you know, there's restaurants that need us to go eat their food today. But this is incredible because how many times do we look at other people and say, well, they got away with that? Maybe they did. But did you know what that means? It means the same God that maybe let that person get away temporarily or whatever with something is letting you get away with some of the things that you do. Like maybe the attitude you have right now. Come on. See, there was this song by the Newsboys. The Newsboys were, they're still around, but they're kind of, it's not the same thing. When I was growing up, the Newsboys were actually Australian, okay? They started adding, they added a New Zealander in there, Phil, Phil Joel. But how many of you guys remember the Newsboys? And you remember the album Going Public? Anybody remember that? This is really old school. Matt, you remember it? Thank you, Matt. He's with me. This is very dating myself. But there was Shine. Make them want to do what you got. Make them wish that they were not on the outside looking. Okay, it's really fading here. Thank you, Karen. That's awesome. Uh, the Newsboys, though, on that album, Going Public, they had a song called uh, uh, What We Deserve or Don't Get What We Deserve. And if you remember the song, they say, when we get what we don't deserve, that's a real good thing. Yeah. And then they would reverse it and say, when we get what we don't deserve, it's a real good thing. And I think that comes in some parts out of this, this idea from the scripture that God, he doesn't always give you what you deserve, which is awesome when you screw up. You ever have a parent, maybe you just did something so stupid and your parent is like, you know, you, you did something stupid. You know that, right? You know that? Yes, I do. Okay, don't do it again. All right. <laughs> You're like, oh, right? Feels good, doesn't it? That sometimes the hammer doesn't fall when we just mess up right away. See, a lot of times we want God to act like this automatic hammer on other people. It's like whack-a-mole. Your, your neighbor, you know, they kind of do something to you you don't like, and you're just like, God, you want, you know, you want, a little sin, sin pops up and God just comes down on them. I don't know why I did that. But anyways, we want God to just react immediately against other people. But when it comes to us, aren't we glad that we don't get what we deserve always? He doesn't always does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Verse 11, for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins. I think I threw my back out when I did that. <laughs> Karate chop, I'm getting old. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. I've heard messages where pastors try to figure out how far that away that is. It's called a metaphor. 
it means really far. What's it in the original language? A long way. God takes your sin and he puts it so far away that it never comes back. He's removed our sins. Verse 13, the Lord is like a father to his children. Everybody needs a father. Whether your earthly dad, your earthly father was a good father or a bad father, in the final sort of counting, that has an effect on your life, but in the final accounting of everything, you need to understand that the love and the gracious goodness of God as a father is revealed to all people. And he's there for you. If you need a father, turn to the Lord. Turn to God, a father that loves you, that protects you, that corrects you, that is there for you. Come on, I'm excited about Father's Day this year because we talk about the, the father heart of God. He's t- tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Verse 14, I love this, for he knows how weak we are. Isn't that, a, isn't that a good thing that God gets it? See, so many times we think God is this accountant up in heaven who's so distance, distant from our problems, distant from our temptations, distant from our struggles that he can't understand. And the word says to us, no, God gets it. He understands. He knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. He remembers that our days on earth are like grass, that we like wild, wildflowers, that we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we'd never been here. God knows this. It says in Hebrews chapter four, verse 14. So then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. And listen to this. It says this high priest, this intermediary, this person that goes between us and God, the part that Jesus plays for us in salvation, this high priest of ours understands our weakness, understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do. So you can't say, no, Jesus doesn't understand. He does understand because he walked in human skin for 33 years on this planet and he was rejected and he was abused and he was beat up and he was bullied and he faced temptation and he walked through the mud, just like we have to. He understands, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. What a beautiful truth that he knows how weak we are. He gets it. He understands our weaknesses, both our mortality and frailty of our physical being and also the inward pull towards sin and brokenness and darkness that we struggle with. Jesus was tested. He was tried. He was tempted. He faced it all. He understands. God gets it. Verse 17, but the love of the Lord remains forever. The love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. I love this passage. I love, I love these benefits, the goodness of God, that his love remains forever. His love remains, and earlier it told us, the passage spoke to us that our sins are removed. But a lot of times we reverse it when we look at God and we don't see his goodness and clarity because we think our sins remain and his love is removed. And yet the, the truth of the gospel is that his love remains and our sins are removed. Come on, hear what I'm saying. Sometimes we think that our sins remain and God's love is removed. But the reality that the word speaks to us is that God's love remains and our sins are removed. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. I love this, that his salvation extends to the children's children. You know, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His heartbeat for you is that not just you, but your entire family would walk in his blessing and walk in his goodness and walk in the light of God's favor 
That is a promise for, for you when you will encounter the gospel, when you will encounter the goodness of God, that if you will begin to let that goodness of God, everything we covered in here, all the benefits that we've just looked at over the last two weeks, if you didn't watch, weren't here last week, go back and watch it on joyeugene.com. But everything good that God does for us, all this amazing stuff, when that becomes a part of who you are and you live your life out of that, what does that do? It makes you irresistible as an evangelist, even to your own family. See, one of the things that I'm very cognizant of is that I don't want to come on a Sunday morning and preach messages to y'all. I'll borrow that from Randy from a couple weeks ago. I don't want to come here and preach to everyone here and declare how good God is and how amazing he is and then go home and then my kids see me basically as a bummed out, discouraged, depressed, despondent, you know, upset, unhappy, unfulfilled Christian. Because no matter what the messages that may go out on the internet or on Facebook or preached on a Sunday morning in a church, that's not the testament that they're going to read. They're going to read the testament of my daily life. And so even when it comes to family, are you experiencing the goodness of God and are you living out the gospel inside of your own home? Come on. Now, you know what? My kids are going to see struggle. They're going to see stuff. They're going to see their mom and I getting arguments. They're going to see things, right? Like real life. Now, I'm not talking about being fake. What I'm talking about is that I, as a believer, need to get my heart and mind oriented around how incredibly good God really is and not forget his benefits, not lose sight of that, not let it go. What would happen? You guys, what would happen if our evangelism, if our sharing of faith came out of this place, this posture of the goodness of God? We'd be irresistible, irresistible. I love when people come to Joy Church, I hear this a lot. People will say, oh uh, yeah, I came last week and, and man, people were so nice to me and they greeted me and that's beautiful to me. Good job, you guys, because I, how powerful is that? When somebody comes to church, one of the things I hate is when somebody says, oh, I went and visited this church or heaven forbid at Joy Church that someone would ever come in here and be ungreeted, unwelcomed, undonated, right? <laughs> like, no, I don't eat donuts. You have to eat one because we love you. God's love is revealed in this fried piece of dough to you today. We want people to feel welcome. We want them to encounter the irresistible love of God, but we've got to encounter it for ourselves. Come on. And when we do that, it makes us irresistible. Amen. So don't forget his benefits. How many of you are encouraged? You're like, man, we serve a good God. He's amazing. The gospel is incredible. God did so much. He's doing so much. He's done so much in us. I want to give you some action steps. I gave them last week and I'll kind of alter it a bit today, but to respond to this message and really to kind of put it into action, I want to encourage you to take Psalm 103 and every day just begin to read that passage of scripture, Psalm 103, and begin to meditate on it and allow something, God to speak something to you from that passage. Maybe it's about the forgiveness of sins. Maybe for you, it's that the big ticket item is like, man, God's love remains and my sin is removed. Whatever it is for you though, something that's there. And you're going to say, I got to get it from here, from my head to my heart. See, being an irresistible Christian is not about understanding how good God is. It's about knowing how good God is for yourself. And there's a difference there. See, a lot of things we know intellectually that we don't actually believe or embrace completely, holistically. And it's not the truth that you simply see or, or know. It's the truth that you get inside that makes a difference. Come on. 
So when you read Psalm 103, if you read through and you're like, okay, 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 let all that I am, praise the Lord, never forget, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forgives all my sins, okay, whatever. Heals my diseases, I guess. Redeems me from death, I don't know what that means. Crowns me with love and tender mercies. Doesn't. If you just kind of read through and you're like, okay, I got the information, nothing happened. No, it's gotta go from here to here. You gotta get in front of God in your place of prayer, get your comfy chair, whatever that looks like for you. And you gotta say, man, his love remains and my sin is removed. And don't I get that wrong? Don't I get that wrong every day? And I think God is looking at me, count, keeping score, counting my faults, counting my iniquities. That's not what the word says. You need to kind of get this sort of argument going on with yourself. Come on, somebody. Come on, you sit in your chair and maybe you're like rocking there. Your family's like, what's happening right here? What you're doing is you're allowing the truth of God, the word of God to go from here to here and it penetrate to the deep place of you. Why, why? Well, for you, number one, but number two, because that is the number one most effective way that you're gonna be able to shine out God's goodness and become irresistible and share faith when you believe in the gospel, when you've really got it, when it gets inside of you. And then number two action step is I wanna encourage you that when God begins to really resonate those things, those things pass from here to here, that you're gonna begin to live and share that with other people. That you don't evangelize or share your faith from a sense of just duty or Christian mission, I just go out to save the world. No, you evangelize from the place of a reflection or response to the goodness of God. You shine it out.